My name is J.D. Partain. I'm the pastor here at uh, Echo Church, and I'm just, I want to welcome you here today, and I also want to tell you, do not come back next week, because we won't be here, <laughs> so I want to make sure we're clear, uh, and part of Memorial Day weekend, uh, we want to be sure to give that to our families and allow you to enjoy just the full weekend, and so what we've done is we've moved that service to this coming Thursday. All right, and that's going to be at Outdoorsman Church. We did this last year. We have a combined service, and so we're combining both of our churches, and both of them are church plants, and so uh, Outdoorsman South is what it's called. It's on South Avenue, right across from uh, the Fort Missoula soccer fields, I think, somewhere in there. Anyway, you, you can't miss it. It's kind of has a giant elk uh, outside of the building, and that'll be at 6 p.m. this coming Thursday. Hey, uh, really, I, I, I want everyone who is a member of ECHO, to be there, please. It, it shows support for the work that Mark Hasenjäger, the pastor of Outdoorsman Church, that he's doing. Um, and it's really fun in a kingdom sense because we get to come together, right? Sort of uh, unite our forces, so to speak. But there will be burgers and all sorts of other good things to eat. And so I encourage you to please come. Um, we have been, believe it or not, some of you may not know this, in the middle of a series. This is the last lesson of that series. It's simply a three-lesson series. And the whole lesson came from a passage that I had read some time ago. It's in Luke chapter 11, and it's where a disciple says something to Jesus. It says, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, he probably went off to a mountain or something like that, it said, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Now, why would he ask that? In Luke's account, he then launches into what we would call the Lord's Prayer, or an abbreviated form of that. But if we're looking at things chronologically, he already taught them that. So he, he already gave the Lord's Prayer when he taught the Sermon on the Mount, which you will find in Matthew chapter 5. So then why is this disciple asking to be taught how to pray? It was obvious that something was going on with Jesus. When Jesus went off again to some other place, I don't know if they were spying on him. You know, I have no idea, but there was something that was occurring in that moment that the disciple, this disciple, and probably a, a number of his disciples, they saw it. They wanted it. And they didn't know how to do it. And so that was the question. What does it mean to pray? And so we launched into this particular lesson on, on what does it mean to pray? And I started with the, the fact that as humans, we have some very um, interesting characteristics of what it means to be human. Uh, things that are unique to us. The appreciation of beauty. That's something unique to the human race that we don't find in any other organism on the planet. That we appreciate something like a sunset, you know. Um, the fact that we are time-oriented, we are future-oriented, but we also are past-oriented. We look at tradition, and we put value on that, but we also look at the future, and we call it vision, and we want to go in a particular direction. That the, only thing, the only thing that we can see is what we see in our mind. That makes us unique. But also, this idea that we're designed to pray. Every culture and nearly every religion around the world throughout human history has had some form of prayer. Why? So what does that mean? In our second lesson, I talked about what memory does. Memory serves an interesting function because it allows us to look back in a number of different ways. And we begin to see things. We begin to see where God was at work, but at the time we did not know it. And because of that, we put more trust in God. You find it throughout Scripture, right? God's people, they're constantly looking back throughout their own personal history, and they're saying, remember when God delivered, delivered us from dot, dot, dot. And it brings strength, and it brings hope for the future. It also gives you a sense of who you are. It also gives you a sense of to whom you belong, right? That he is the one who's in control, and you have been made by him. You are what we call the imago Dei. It's a Latin phrase, in the image of God. And you gain that by having this memory of what God has done in your own personal life and even in the stories that you share with each other. But today, I have to confess, I wanted this particular lesson to be actually the first one. This is a lesson that has um, 
wow, it has scratched at my insides for years and years and probably yours as well. It asks a particular uh, question. And to illustrate that question, I just want to ask the parents in the room, can you recall a, a time when you may have told your child something quite clearly, right? But then later they say these words, oh, well, I didn't hear you, <laughs> right? I didn't hear you. And of course, what's your response? I told you, right? <laughs> Let me explain it again. You know, you want to go through this. And what's the problem? Where's the disconnect? Is it true that you told them? It, it most likely is. No offense, kids. It probably is true that you told them. So where's the disconnect? Why would they come back with that? Is it just an excuse? Well, maybe sometimes. Here's my question. Can you hear God? That's it. Does God speak to us? That is the gist of this entire lesson today. Some of you are not going to like this lesson <laughs> because as a pastor, many times what you want to do is you want to roll out a lesson where at the very end, there's going to be some kind of a crusher of a conclusion and it's going to bring to light all the answers to the questions, right? Let's just skip to that and say, I'm not sure I have all the answers, all right? But I do want us to look at what it means to actually hear God. Before we roll into that, I want to talk about something that I found kind of fascinating. Did you know that many countries have outlawed the use of solitary confinement? In fact, the United Nations has, has literally put bans or at least restrictions on how you can use solitary confinement. Of course, what are we talking about with solitary confinement? Usually it's applied to someone who's in prison, right? Maybe it's someone who is acting in a belligerent way or a very dangerous way. It might be uh, a way to protect other people who are in that prison, right? And what they do is they put this person in a place, usually it's a small room, where they will have no contact whatsoever. They are completely alone and solitary. No contact with anyone else. And the United Nations is beginning to realize that this is actually a, a very cruel form of punishment that borders on torture. So they have banned the use of solitary confinement for no longer than 15 days. One of my favorite magazines, Wired Magazine, which I highly recommend, on August 10th, 2013, they wrote an article and they said, explaining why isolation is so damaging is complicated but it can be distilled to basic human needs for social interaction, along with a lack of the social reinforcement that prevents everyday concerns from snowballing into psychosis. The psychiatrist Terry Coopers of the Wright Institute, he writes, in isolation, people become anxious, angry, prone to hallucinations, and wild mood swings. They are unable to control their impulses. The problems are even worse in people predisposed to mental illness, and they can wreak long-lasting changes in prisoners' minds. He also likened it to the symptoms that we see in solitary prisoners to those seen in soldiers who are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. The need for human interaction. We are relational. We were made relational. It is another characteristic of what it means to be human that goes across all cultures, across human history. It makes us very unique in a number of different ways, but we are relational people. Samuel Williamson is the author of a book called Hearing God in Conversation, and he says these things. He says, my parents taught me that we were redeemed in order to have a restored relationship with God. We are relational people. The basis of every relationship is communication. Which means that if God redeemed me so that I could have a real relationship with Him, and if the basis of every real relationship is communication, then maybe God intends for me to have a relationship with Him in which we have regular communications together. Dallas Willard writes these words. He says, people are meant to live in an ongoing conversation with God, spe speaking and then being spoken to. Do you agree? I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. 
I mean, think about it. If we are relational beings, if we were made in his image, and if we are supposed to be a part of some type of relationship with him, and if the underlying structure of relationship is built upon communication, and communication, as I have talked about over and over, for those of you who have been here, is actually something that goes both directions, is it safe to assume that we communicate with God, but that God then communicates with us? Now, for some of you, I know, you're already getting uncomfortable. You're shifting in your seat. You're like, okay, now how crazy is this going to be? The reason I told you that this question has been scratching on the inside is I will hear things all the time, all the time, specifically from different Christians. And as I grew up, I would hear this thing from a Christian who would say, um, you know, God told me to do da-da-da-da-da. And immediately, in my soul, and hopefully not expressed, would be this expression. Really? Like he told you to buy those shoes? He does not have a good sense of style. Like, I mean, that's what I'm thinking inside. God told you to do that? Are you kidding me? Like, how did he tell you? What did he sound like? Where was it? These are the kinds of questions that would be inside of me. I'm sure some of you can relate. Sometimes you hear that God has told people to do some pretty ridiculous things. So, does that mean he doesn't speak? At my age, 46, I've experienced too much. If I tell you right now that I've heard God speak, how many of you are going to go crazy? But I'd be a liar if I told you that he didn't. So how does this work? What do we do as Christians to have this type of a relationship? Let me just remind you that we were created to be not only in relationship with each other, but with a triune God. When I talk about triune, I'm talking about the trinity of, the, of God, the Holy Spirit, right? And who else? Jesus Christ. Jesus would come down to this particular earth, and we see throughout Scripture the ways in which he would gather up his disciples. He would constantly be working on relationship. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say those words. You just see it play out all the time. He would take certain disciples with him at momentous occasions. Perhaps it was a time when he was going to have the, uh, the transfiguration occur, right? But listen to these words from John chapter 14. This is right after the Last Supper. Now remember, right, right before Easter, we talked about there was one day that was a good day, right? And I think it was the Last Supper. I think that was a good day. Because they're gathered in this one particular room all together and they're having supper with the Lord Jesus Christ. He washes their feet, but he's also pretty upfront with a few of them. Like Judas, who he knows is going to betray him. And so he calls him out. He also calls out Peter. So this is all what's happened in John chapter 13. And Jesus keeps alluding to the fact that he's about to leave that he's about to possibly die, you know, and they don't know what to think. And so this is what he says in John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So right away we see that there is a relationship that Jesus has, has been already working on, but he's making it clear. This is something that's going to be going on for quite some time, the relationship that I have with you. If you go to verse 16, listen to what he says here. He says, I will ask the Father. He's still speaking to his disciples. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Some of your translations may say advocate. Who's he talking about? the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Now we're talking about someone else that gets to be a part of who we are. We're talking about relationship, relationship with God, but we've just Look very briefly at a relationship with Jesus Christ and then also a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's almost as though we're being wrapped up by the entire Trinity itself, which if you look in John 17, Jesus is praying. It's his last prayer. It's in Gethsemane, right? It's the last prayer that we have recorded anyway. 
It's a beautiful prayer. And listen to his words. Lord, as you sent me into the world, this is verse 18, I also have sent them, these disciples, into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. But listen to this, verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Who's he talking about? Yeah. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Can you see the power of what's being said by Jesus Christ himself? Our American religion places us in isolation, but we are connected on an eternal level, not just with each other, but with a triune God. We have the Holy Spirit within us, We are following Jesus Christ and God. It's all wrapped into this mishmash that we can't even fathom, but there is a relationship that's happening. So if that relationship exists, if that's true, then what about the communication side? Because it sure seems like communication can sure be difficult. Well, you know, when we look back in time, we think of, okay, who are the people that actually communicated with God? Obviously, there were prophets, right? My mind immediately went to David. Now, I was named after David, so there might be a little bit of bias there, John, Jonathan David. Anyway, uh, but when you look at David, what's the common phrase? It's referred to in Acts even. Well, who, who is da- how is David labeled in his relationship with God? He was a man what? After God's own heart. When, wouldn't you love that title, right? And you could see how often David is constantly pursuing the Lord. Joe's already read several psalms that illustrate that, even in his grief. But then, listen to what he writes. What's fun is this. Joe has challenged me to have, to, uh, to read a psalm every day, which has been fun. I'm having to make up a few. But uh, anyway, I'm catching, I'm catching back up. But what, what has been interesting about this exercise is how many themes you see occur over and over and over. One of them sounds like this. Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. And in the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. And in the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. It's like he has this anticipation. I am going to give it to you, and then I'm waiting to hear back from you. But then if you continue to read some of the Psalms, you'll hear this. Psalm 10. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. Or Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. Does it sound like David is having trouble connecting? Yes. I mean, this is a man after God's own heart, right? It would seem like he has a direct line with God. But it's obvious, and that, I mean, I've got several more psalms I could go through in this. Um, it's obvious that David even had a disconnect in his conversation. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe, maybe you hadn't really thought. When you look at some of these other people in the Bible and the ways in which they talk with God, you probably thought of that as an extraordinary thing, not necessarily as an ordinary thing. And is that true? Well, here's what I want to do. As I said at the very beginning, I'm not sure I'm going to have some sufficient answers for you, but I do want to discuss with you what I think might be obstacles to why you can't hear from God. Okay? Are you following me? Obstacles. Here's the deal. Sometimes I think we are wanting to hear from God on our terms. Usually the time when we're wanting to hear from God is because we have some specific thing that has happened in our life where we are calling out to God. Is that how your relationships will function? I think obstacle number one could be your family of origin. 
What if the way in which you view family is something that gets in the way of your prayers, your relationship with God, with hearing from God? Is it because longing to hear from God in many ways is the very same type of longing that we would have had as children to hear from our mother or our father? And how many of you struggle to either have that, right? Or maybe you had a mother or father that was abusive, where that relationship was tense. I think this is one of the reasons I'm so passionate about bringing up youth. One of the reasons that I think we should always stay connected with YFC, Young Life, Foster Care, Child Bridge, I mean, all of these types of things. I think sometimes what we're looking at with kids is we want them to make sure that they have strong families, and that's good. But what if that affects the relationship that they have with their eternal father? It kind of raises the bar a little bit, don't you think? Adam Young, who many of you probably know by now, he's kind of my latest theologian crush. He says these words, he says, Have you come to terms with how deeply you long to hear your father's voice? How deeply you long to hear him speak into your life. And are you aware that as a little boy or girl, you deeply needed the strong and tender voice of your mother to speak into your heart? If we let ourselves feel our longing to hear God's voice, that automatically connects us to the very deep longings in our heart for attunement, responsiveness, and engagement from our parents. So reflect on that. What were the tender moments growing up? I'll tell you this right now. For me, bedtime was special. It's the thing every kid hates, right? I gotta go to bed, right? But at the same time, I'm lying there in my top bunk. All four of us were crammed into a tiny room. In my top bunk. And my mother and my father come up, and they're eye level pretty much, because Benji and Dad made this monstrous thing. It's about this high. And so they come up, and maybe scratch my head or ask me questions. But in the peace and still of that moment, it's dark, and I hear my parents' voice. There's assurance, there's safety, there's connection. Lana is huge on putting the kids to bed. So much so that McKenna sometimes, she'll go to bed and she'll be like, Mom, make sure you come tuck me in. (laughs) Like she's always reminding her, right? And I'm not even sure what the conversations are. I leave that little sacred moment just to them. You know, it's not like mom and dad, right? It's just mom, and that's okay. And so mom goes in there, and I'm not sure what's happening in that room at that moment. But I know something special is happening in the way of connection and communication that's forming her as a future woman. So what is it for you? Is it possible you never had that? Was there conversation from a, a, a parent that was tuned in to your needs that your heart took seriously? Or were you actually just left to your own devices to figure out life? Because without that tenderness, what does that put inside of you that then might reflect this relationship you have with God? So our longing for a parent's voice, also our level of attachment with a parent. In other words, how approachable were your parents? If you had a question, a simple question, or some kind of a need, and you approached your parents, what was their response? Were you a distraction? Were they too busy to even hear what you had to say? Perhaps they were annoyed. As a CASA, a court-appointed special advocate, they put you through a series of training, and you learn a couple things, and there's one thing that is stuck in my head. Uh, my training was about two years ago, and I still have never forgotten it, and it's this, that we've learned that most often, neglect is more damaging to a child than abuse. That might surprise you. Most often, neglect is more damaging to a child than abuse. Why? Because abuse communicates, I don't like you. But neglect communicates you don't exist. It's a level of indifference. Is that what you experienced growing up? I think that becomes an obstacle to the relationship you have with God. 
I think that's why church, especially, James 1, 27, we're to care for the orphan and the widow. We're to provide family for those who do not have family. And it's not just because it makes a nice life here on earth. It's because it affects a relationship that we have with an eternal father. These things are huge. I'm tired of us connecting the dots where things just stay right here on the planet. They don't. They connect in eternal ways and spiritual ways. I think it's fascinating when it comes to the idea of being approachable. I know that I'm not always approachable. And it really rocks my world. I was born with an intensity, and I blame my parents, but I was born with an intensity that exists inside of me. And uh, for years, I've had to work on it. And I think I've told you this before. I think I was in my early 20s. I got into an argument with my mom, and I hadn't even, I hadn't even reached the climax yet. And all of a sudden, she just broke down in tears, and it, it, it shook me up. She goes, you're just too strong for me. You know, I felt great. But then at the same time, I was like, oh, my goodness. This could be a serious problem. And I remember working on that intensity. And now as a parent, I, it, it's tough. Because sometimes being a parent is tough. And when they approach, I have a certain reaction. And sometimes it can sound like thunder. And it comes down out of the sky like fire. But let me ask you this. How many of you, in your, re- your, your view of God, have that particular uh, 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 thinking in terms of that view of who God is. And 1 Kings 19 obviously might come to your mind. 1 Kings 19 is a fantastic chapter. It's a chapter with Elijah. Now, the chapter before that is just as good. It's, it's, it's obviously 1 Kings 18. Uh, but in 1 Kings 18, Elijah actually hosts a competition where King Ahab at that time has the, um, the, uh, the I'm trying to Baal, sorry, I don't know why that skipped my mind. He has this idol called Baal, and he has all these people that are bowing down to Baal, and he has all these prophets, and it's horrible. It's very anti-God. And so Elijah puts this contest together where he says, guess what? You should make a sacrifice and put an animal on that sacrifice and pray to your God. I'm going to do the same over here and pray to my God. And then guess what? Today, you guys should choose. All of you people should choose who you're going to serve based on the outcome of this contest. And it's great. Because the prophets of Baal, they all dance around and stuff. And Elijah starts making fun of them. He's like, yeah, maybe you should cry out louder. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. That's literally what it says. Maybe he's gone on a trip. You know, that kind of thing. And eventually, nothing happens. And Elijah, he gets real dramatic. He digs trenches and fills them with water. He puts water all over the sacrifice. He offers a simple prayer. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes everything. And everyone bows down. They're like, oh my goodness, the the Lord, he is God. And then he kills all the prophets of Baal. As a result, Ahab's lovely wife, Jezebel, is furious. She decides that she wants to kill Elijah. And so what she does is um, she takes after him. And she sends a message to him. She's like, I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you, right? And it puts fear inside of his heart. He immediately goes into a depression. He feels as though he is the only one that is actually standing up for God. He even prays that God would take his life. Eventually, we get to a spot, and I'll read it for you real quick. This is uh, chapter 19, verse 9. It says that Elijah went to Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, and there he came to a cave, and he decided to spend the night. And the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, he said, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and they've killed every one of your prophets and I alone am left. He's not saying he alone in terms of those that have surrendered to God because it just happened in the previous chapter. I think he's referring to the prophets, but he's feeling quite alone. And he says, and now they're trying to kill me too. Verse 11 The Lord said to him, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain, and it was such a terrible blast that rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in that wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was fire, 
but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave, and a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again. Now listen. He replies the exact same reply. One commentary says, We don't know the tone that might have changed. Elijah says, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. What is the point? Like, what's the big show about? Because now what God does is he gives them instructions. Well, this is what I want you to do. And Elijah does it. But he's so depressed. And he, he wants God to take his life. And the first time God asks him this question, he might be throwing a fit. I don't know. But honestly, I look at what he's saying, and I'm kind of like, it, it doesn't sound too selfish to me. Elijah's saying, I've been trying to deliver what you have told me to do for your name and your holiness. And this is what I've received And then God gives him a display with wind and then an earthquake and then fire. But he's not in any of it. And then he has a gentle whisper. And here's what I think. I believe what God is doing is he is showing his characteristics as God, his power as God. In fact, in many ways you might, as you're reading this, he's supposed to be standing before him. But by the time he comes with the gentle wind, it says that he'd already retreated back into the cave. He had to come back to the edge of the cave, right? Because it was probably terrifying. Because that is the capacity of the powerful God that he is. And yet, how does then God approach him? With a gentle whisper. Our God is so approachable. Is it possible for you to understand how approachable our God is? And in our communication, I think sometimes what we're looking for is perhaps the wind or the earthquake, and we want God to do something now. But can we approach him in such a way, knowing that we're not going to receive a reprimand, because neither did Elijah, that God is there to listen? Obstacle number two is this. Tony Stoltzfus, I hope I said his name right. He is an author as well, and he says this. He says, the problem is, the problem is not that Jesus isn't speaking, or even that you aren't hearing. It's that you don't believe that you are hearing. The problem is not that Jesus isn't speaking or even that you aren't hearing. It's that you don't believe that you are hearing. What if obstacle number two is this? What if you don't believe that you can hear? What if what's getting in the way of listening to God is your lack of belief? I know it's mine. This is usually what happens. You know, I'll I'll, I'll be praying. I'll be like, Lord, please just guide me, right? Please, speak to me. I want to know. And what happens is this, is sometimes I'll have words come into my mind or images come into my mind. And what happens? I'll say things like, well, that had to just be my own thoughts, right? I'm not sure that was actually God's voice. Maybe it was just something that was, you know, wrong with me. I ate something bad or, you know, whatever it might be that's bringing some some sort of an illusion to my mind. And is that what it is? I think sometimes my lack of faith cancels out whatever message might be coming to the surface. Whatever God might be prompting inside of me, I'll immediately dismiss it as though it really wasn't God to begin with. But is that true? Is that true? I'll give you a a living example right now. People have been asking, so I'm just going to give you a quick update. We still don't have a building. I thought we had a space and I thought we had a really fantastic space located downtown. So what I did is I did a ton of research, and the elders and I talked about it, and we were looking at it, and Benji was there for at least two, maybe three of those walkthroughs. We finally got Brett there. He's a hardworking man, so he had trouble getting there. But eventually he did. And we had such a great team. We've got contractors. We've got an architect. We went and visited with the city. The two guys from the city walked around. They wanted to see if it would, you know, meet all the code, you know, requirements and all the rest of it. And I knew one of them. 
I, like a childhood friend, you know, and, and things were going great. And so we put together a proposal in terms of a lease and we sent it to the owner. That was four weeks ago. We keep bugging him. Keep telling Jeremy, our realtor, like, go bug him, you know. And he's such a nice guy. He's like, oh, you know, okay, <laughs> you know. And he does nothing. So you pray, right? God, what are we doing? What does this mean? So what thoughts come to your mind? Because guess what? There's one thought that says, oh, you know what? Maybe this is God telling us this isn't going to be the place. But then there's another thought that says what? Maybe this is Satan getting in the way. So how will you know? So now my, plan, my, my prayer, and yours as well, should be for discernment. So will you listen to what's being given back to you? I mean, how do we know? How do we discern? And do we really believe that God might actually download a message into our heart? If we're in relationship with Him, and if we're in communication, what would that look like? So I'm, listen, I'm not telling you the formula of what that's going to sound like. I'm saying, do you believe it can occur? The obstacle that we're talking about is a lack of belief that God might actually function that way. Obstacle number three, we don't want to work. <laughs> Listening takes practice and work and dedication, right? Anyone who has been married for a few years knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? You and your spouse, oh sure, you speak English, right? But do you actually communicate? And anyone who's been in a marriage knows it takes some practice. Like it takes some work to understand things uh, and, 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 and to learn how to communicate with each other. Uh, my wife and I, we will do uh, marriage counseling before I officiate a, a, a wedding. And some of you have been in that. And we do this thing with preparing and enrich. And one of the first lessons that they talk about is what does it mean to be an active listener? So active listening is simply speaking back what you heard, right? So if Brett says to me, well, J.D., I think I would like to have um, a burrito for breakfast. For me to be an active listener is to say, Brett, what I hear you saying is that you really want a breakfast burrito, right? And then he'll either confirm that type of thing. So that's called active listening. All of you who are married, I just saved your marriage. So just practice that. <laughs> because wh what does it do? It, it kind of cleans the air of all the noise that's in that channel, right? And so there's this practice of, of active listening. Does it come natural? No, not at all. Does it take practice? Yes. Does it take work? Of course it takes work. So where are you in terms of your work with your communication with God? John Eldridge says these words. He says, look, all significant skills and abilities require repeated practice to learn how to do them well. So why would it be any different with learning to hear God's voice? So how do we do it? What do we practice? How do we grow in this, this idea of conversation with God? And, and the only solution that I can give you is this, the word experience. The more you do it. And that's kind of ambiguous, I understand, but just hear me out. As I said at the beginning, usually we only want to speak to God when we want Him to speak. We, I'm sorry, we want to hear God when we want him to speak to us. Is that really how your relationships flow? With your spouse? With your family? I mean, is that, is that the limit of your communication? Do you speak with each other in such a way that it's only when it concerns what you need at that time? What if we were to actually try to have conversation with God even when we didn't have anything that we needed? What would that look like? Experience means that we enter into regular dialogue where we are asking God to speak back to us. Experience through several different ways. I'll give you the first. That is, perhaps the best place to start will be the Bible, right? Experience through the Word of God, which is why I keep saying you got to be in your Bibles, right? And then I give you an app leading up to Easter, where you're going to read through all four Gospels. And I was really proud of this church, because at least half of this church was doing something in that, in that area, right? But you, if, you, if you want to understand the mind of God and know how conversation is to flow, look how it is with the other people in the Bible. Look how it is with how the Bible speaks to you. I'll give you an example. This right here, it's called the Conquer Series. 
Uh, it's the journal that we use for Burn the Ships. Now, Burn the Ships is a program that we've been working on for well over a year, addressing sexual addiction, trying to help people, both men and women, break free of sexual addiction, right? One of the exercises that you, they have you do is to journal. And essentially, they give you a verse at the top, and here's what you do. You not only read that particular verse, but then you take a pen and you write it out, right? So you write down the Word of God. And then what it asks you to do is to simply wait. Wait and observe. That could be a prayer. That could be meditation. For me, sometimes I'll rewrite the verse. And what you're waiting is you're wanting to hear. What are the words that pop out to you? What are the things that are coming to your mind at that time? And so you'll wait, and you'll listen, and you'll observe, and then what you'll do is you'll pray a request. On here, it's, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you what this one is, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a request, and so you ask God based on whatever it was that you just read from the Word of God. Maybe it was one of those words. Maybe the word encouragement came to the surface, and it really did something in your heart at that moment. Listen to that. And then with your prayer, your request to God, Maybe my prayer is, Lord, may I be a better, more effective encouragement to the people around me. Or maybe the prayer is, Lord, please provide and bring encouragement because I need it, right? And then the last thing they ask is that you dedicate. And I love this part. You dedicate. You make a resolve of some kind. Basically, what you're doing is, is, is you're saying that I, from this point forward, I dedicate in this particular way to do something that has to do with that passage. That's a simple exercise, right? And it's about journaling. And, it, and it, it, I'm not a great big journaler, but I love this exercise because it forces me to take a pen to paper and to practice what it means to be in this dialogue with God. The second experience that I would recommend, if you want to experience this and experience this and experience this, you've got to come into some type of pattern, all right? That doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a daily pattern but what are the rhythms that you have in your prayer life with God? I guarantee you, you have rhythms with your other relationships. My wife and I have rhythms. I mean, we both work, but at the end of the day, I want to hear her stories, and she, she wants to hear mine, you know? And we try to have some type of dialogue. But I mean, my, my bank begins to go empty if I don't have some type of dialogue with my wife. And so how do you continue to have those regular patterns? Number one, get rid of your phone. Man, set aside time where you don't have your stinking phone. I know that sounds painful. I'll always remember when I took a group to a, a worship service. It was called a Taze worship service. And in the middle of the worship service, they had 15 minutes of silence. 15 minutes. And I have all these kids. I have like 30 kids with me. We're all sitting in these pews. They're like, now we will have a time of silence. I don't think we got five minutes in. I had a tap on my shoulder. It was JR, one of my students. He's like, JD can't do this. <laughs> I'm like, JR, you're, you're going to have to try, but I can't. <laughs> I said, all right, just go to the bathroom. So he left and went to the bathroom for 10 minutes because he just couldn't handle it. And later I would talk to him. I'm like, listen, JR, do you know what that time is for? It's one-on-one -on -one time with God. And yeah, it's going to feel a little unnatural, but set aside that time in a regular way where you are speaking specifically to God. Another one is to speak out loud. This is, this is what I do. Yes, it's embarrassing when people catch you. I know that, right? But I'll speak out loud to God. Sometimes it's in my office, but usually it's on a hike. You know, I'll go find some place in the woods, which is another piece of advice that I give you as well. Psalm 19, David says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. David felt like God spoke to him through nature, right? Psalm 19, day after day, they continue to speak, and night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. And the last thing is this, that you would journal, just as I've already shown you here. Listen, it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. But my question to you is this, do you have dialogue with God? Is there two-way communication happening? If there's not, can I suggest something? Maybe your relationship needs to be worked on a little. Is it possible that the, 
when you have a relationship that's so one-sided that you only have communication happening on one side alone, that things are in jeopardy. Think about that. I give you this lesson because I got to hear from God. I have to. I need a message. We are in some really, really difficult times. And as you've already heard me share, discouraging times. I want a building. We've been in here for seven years, and what a, what a blessing it has been, right? But can we pray that? And I know a building doesn't make a church, and we can go down that whole argument and all the rest of it, but it certainly opens up a number of opportunities. And I think we should just find it, but it's like, Lord, would you please just give it? You got to see where our culture's heading. There is a shakeup happening in the kingdom in this valley. I think I've already shared with you in the past three weeks, I've, I know of at least five pastors, personally, five pastors that I've met with and talked with who've either lost their job, their marriages have fallen apart, or some big secret's been discovered. Churches are getting rattled, and you're going to see more of it. I'm telling you right now, Satan is on the prowl. This valley is in jeopardy. The direction of humanity is not going towards something positive. And yet we have this sleeping giant right here that could do so much. The reason we call ourselves Echo Church is because you are a resonation of God. Your love does not come from you. It comes from Him. It's reflected through you. The justice that you give. So we have to be in strong relationship with Him. We have to be on our knees in prayer. And that relationship has to go two different directions. So not only do I believe in the practice and the idea of dialogue and conversation with God, I also believe that I have heard His voice in the past. And it has rocked me. And yes, I asked many times, is that His voice? But it has spurred something inside of me that says, I want to hear more. And I want you to speak to me. And I want to speak to you. I believe we can recognize his voice. I think even Jesus has, has told us that we would recognize his voice. It's interesting. Once again, I, I know I got a lot of parent illustrations. My boys will recognize my voice. I know this because there was one time where Cole and I we were getting a little bit in an argument and uh, I was kind of preaching at him because sometimes preachers do that. And finally he said, okay, got it. Which was a little snarky. But where do you think he learned that? I mean, it was like listening to a, a, a recording of myself being played back, you know, and it kind of hit me a little bit. I was like, oh yeah, that sounded like me, you know. And then I spanked him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But think about this. Think about this. Think of this hypothetical. I know for a fact that if somebody went up to my children and they were to say something, like if they were to say, your dad told me to tell you, dot, dot, dot. Whatever comes next, I think they could identify if it truly was from their dad or not. You know, if they said something like, you're getting a timeout when you get home. I've never said that. <laughs> like, they would know immediately. They'd be like, yeah, that, that doesn't sound like dad, you know. But if it was a movie quote, <laughs> I'm not happy, Bob. Not happy, right? Yeah. They would know. That's the voice of my dad. If I... If they said, stand up, speak up. That comes from a man trip we took two years ago. And they would know that's the voice of my dad. Jesus says, the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice. They come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And after he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And they follow because they know his voice. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you know the voice 
of your Father. Great God, I thank you so much for today. And Lord, I just ask that you be with us. Oh, we're going through such an interesting chapter of this church. And Lord, I just ask right now that you please provide. I don't know what it looks like. I'm just, and I'm a bit of a mess because it's, you know, you, I want to see. I want to see where things are going. I want that affirmation that you're there to pick me up. And like David crying out to you, I'm, I'm like, where are you? Lord, there are several of us here today. That is our prayer. For personal reasons and for diff- different reasons. May we know your voice. God, what is it you want us to hear? Allow us to surrender ourselves and humble ourselves in such a way that we value this relationship we have with this triune God, whatever that might mean or look like, but that we value it in such a way that we want full communication. Listen to our hearts. Listen to the ways in which we cry out to you, but also listen to the joys that we have, the happiness that sings out. May we share that not only with each other, but with you. And even then, could you speak? Great God, I thank you for where you have taken this church. This is such a beautiful little family. It was such a motley little crew of so many different people. Lord, I thank you for the people that are visiting, and I thank you for the people that have been visiting for a number of you know, years, and they, they, they leave and they come back, and I just love that family element that they would always feel at least some sense of comfort and home here. Lord, I thank you for our elders. I thank you for the ways that they have grown, the ways that you have shaped them, the confidence and the, the power that you have given them, and yet the humility that they have used alongside. I thank you for the leaders in this church, the ones that we would call staff, the ones that we would call volunteers. I thank you for the relationships that they have with you and the relationships they have with each other and the ways in which they have poured out so much of their time and their heart for this church to move forward. I thank you for our kids. Lord, may we be fantastic mentors and parents raising up our children, knowing that that relationship will model and reflect the relationship they will eventually have with you. Lord, be with us at this time. Just guide us and protect us. Thank you for the food we're about to eat and all the other blessings you give us, but most of all, Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, J.D.